The views expressed on this program are solely those of the speaker and do not reflect the views and opinions of Centennial Securities. Be reminded that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Happy Friday! Welcome to the Weekly Investment Podcast, where we discuss the week's must-know investment news and how it affects your money. I am your host, Walter. I am very excited for this week's interview. Our conversation is with Centennial COO and CTO, Andy Klinger. Prior to joining Centennial, Andy served as the Operations Director for both Marsica Limited and Areti Technologies. When Aredi acquired Moss Telecom in 2019, Andy was made Chief of Staff, where he supported the CEO and executive team with business and operations planning, as well as establishing a new multi-million dollar product division. Andy is a data-driven executive with a passion for leadership, culture, and long-term strategic planning. Andy is also a board member of the West Michigan Better Business Bureau. In his free time, he enjoys cycling and camping with his wife in and around Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay, let's crack right into the interview. Andy Klinger, thank you for being on The Whip. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks, Walter. I'm excited to be here. Well, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. You are relatively new to Centennial. But before we get to your landing at Centennial, could we start with maybe your upbringing? My upbringing is a little bit different than a lot of my peers. I was raised in northern Michigan. I actually I grew up on a dairy farm. But, you know, not the traditional family farm handed down through generations. My folks were in the science world and got tired of some of the work that they were doing. You know, my dad was a robotics engineer and my mom a microbiologist doing air quality research. And one day they looked at their lives and said, man, this is not what I want to be doing. Let's go start a farm. They bought 40 acres of land, moved us all to northern Michigan, and we started gardening and milking cows and horses, chickens, all of it. That was a very different upbringing uh, than a lot of people I grew up around. I, I didn't realize that until later in my childhood, but it really did give me a, a lot of tools to carry into adulthood and it was ultimately very helpful. You know, I have a business operations and technology background and people will often ask, well, how did I get into that if I, if I grew up on a farm? And a lot, of, a lot of the things are overlapping, right? On the farm, if your tools don't work, you don't eat. And the same goes for any business, right? If your processes don't work, if your technology doesn't work, then you don't eat. So you don't have a choice other than to make it work. And there was a quote that I read long ago that I carry with me everywhere. It was, um, excuse the pronunciation, but it was in Latin, out in winium, weum out falcium, which essentially means we will find a way or we will make one. And I don't know where it came from. I think it was attributed to Seneca at one point, but ultimately the origin is unknown, but that really describes how I approach things. So that's fascinating. You think about growing up in that very agricultural environment, 
the changing of the season having an impact on your your day to day. But there are also some consistencies, right? Cows got to get milked and land's got to get tended to. Looking back on that time, because you're very much working with your hands, your parents, though, come from a very scientific cerebral background. How did that filter through the agricultural side? Because you're busy with the day-to-day work. How did that scientific analytical itch get scratched? That's a great question. You approach every problem as an engineer. And what I think what you try to do is get the, the most outcome for the minimum amount of input. So the input-to-output balance is something that you're always reaching for. Is there a chore or a process or something on the farm that I can automate or make easier through the use of tools. We design and put together a vacuum milking system so that you don't have to do it by hand. It takes everything to the bulk tank for storage, and then it just gets picked up. Finding those ways to to leverage tools was really, you know, where my folks' background was helpful. We were able to do a lot with our small team of, you know, a couple of kids and my parents. One final question about the farm, and you can settle this eternal debate once and for all, whole milk or skim? Oh, whole milk, come on. Our skim is just water. (laughs) Oh, I will let the audience decide there. I would tend to agree with you. Okay, so moving on from the farm, uh, how did you get from northern Michigan into the big city of Grand Rapids? So I came down to Grand Rapids for school, like many people do. Grand Rapids, I think, has really got it going on. There's at least 15 colleges in this town and a lot of positive things happening here. But I myself came down for school. Originally, I was planning on getting a degree in fine arts and going to be an artist or a teacher or something along those lines. 2008 happened and I, I had to get a real job. So there was a opening for a communications director position. I interviewed for that and, and got it. And over the next six years, moved up into operations director. And we helped scale that company immensely over those years. When I started, there were, I think, 65 employees. And then by the end of the, my tenure there, we were at 800 employees and in 41 states. That was that was a lot of learning by doing. You really learn a lot about yourself if you're very lucky, right? And two of the things that I learned about me are, are what do I like to do and what am I good at? And what I like to do is to build things. I grew up working with my hands. I like to, to build things. I like to build not just physical things, but I like to build teams. And I like to build processes and I like to build ideas. But what I'm good at is fixing things. You're really lucky they're the same thing, and mine are pretty close together. But if something's not going right, quite right, if there's a, a process that just isn't doing quite what you want, then that's typically where I, where I shine is working with the people and what they're doing to get everything alive. Let's stay on that for a little bit because that's interesting. You like building things. You're good at fixing things. What do you do when you're having a challenge fixing something? What is your process to work through that challenge? I also don't necessarily believe in reinventing the wheel. I think a lot of people confuse the term innovation as meaning creating something from nothing that is novel and unique and never existed before. But I really 
think that innovation is looking around at other verticals, other practice areas, seeing what works there and adapting existing processes to fit your specific need. So if something can't be built, if something can't be fixed, there's usually a knowledge gap. You try and innovate your way out of that. You look around, you see what everybody else is doing that's working, and you learn from what they're doing. Most problems are either knowledge gap or mismatched expectations. So just being able to remove the self from your problem will get you a long way. I'm curious, there's probably a component of that response that goes back to your time at the farm. Nature has a way of solving problems, and you look and see how the natural cycle has solved a lot of the challenges that have come up. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, to adopt a similar mindset and say, okay, let's see what else has been done. Let's not reinvent this. You know, we're not the first people to experience this problem. Okay, so we have a sense of who Andy is, how we got to Grand Rapids, but how are you here? Why are you at Centennial? What brought you to the company? What attracted you to the opportunity? Could you tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about how you landed in your current seat? Prior to coming to Centennial, I, I carried an interest in the markets and the securities world for actually for a number of years. It was just a, an interesting thing to me going back to, to innovation and looking around. I really believe that systems are a lot more related than anybody thinks. So learning about different universes can be really beneficial. The securities market is a system to me and and it was a, a kind of a point of interest. I came across this opening one day and it really seemed to be custom built for me. It was in an industry I was interested in and it was doing work that I know that I can be good at. What I think was interesting was that Centennial had done some introspection, identified where it was, where it wanted to be, had done that gap analysis and and really presented an earnest and authentic quest to try and be more. Um, You know, I always think that what gets you here won't get you there. If you want something different, you have to do something different. And I I saw that authenticity in, in the opportunity. And, you know, Centennial, while we have different tools, we offer different products, ultimately our value prop and our real product is, is our people, which I think is just the pinnacle of, <laughs> of what, a, what a business wants to be. Any business is made up of individuals, and if they are all equipped correctly and putting the opportunity to do what they're good at, then magic can happen. So a couple things in there that I want to follow up on. I couldn't agree more that an organization is only as good as the people in it. And I'm glad that you clearly identified there are some great people that work at Centennial, but the industry is changing and technology, fintech for lack of a better term, is very much becoming part and parcel of the day-to-day work that I do as an advisor and and, uh, the different roles that people have in, in the company. And so with technology being a focus of your background, you're perfectly placed to come in and leverage some of your expertise. Maybe we transition the conversation here to talk a little bit more about that fintech. 
So let me set the stage around that idea a little bit, going back to the farm just for a moment. You can never eliminate or reduce the amount of work that needs to be done, but you can get a mechanical advantage on the work. You can delegate lower order work to technology. You can increase your output to the amount of input by leveraging technology, but that work is always going to be there. And anybody who tells you otherwise is trying to get you to buy something. A person will always need to be involved with any technology. Somebody's got to do the input to get the output. But a longer lever, a sharper saw, that'll help you multiply your own effort. Out in the, the marketplace of fintech and what's available to us, everything is kind of built around financial analysis. And there is always going to be a little bit of a, of a lag in of that analysis, just by its very nature, right? You can't analyze something that hasn't happened yet. It's a little bit of a paradox. So you're asking questions always. What did the market do? Did that decision I made have an impact? Though that's not anything that you can tell in real time, certainly can't predict it, but technology is helping to shorten that lag and get it closer and closer to an in-the-moment experience. That's unlikely to hit the present moment and certainly unlikely to, to be able to be product, predictive technology, that is. So anything that'll help us get closer to real-time analysis or real-time interaction is a, a goal of these technology developers. That said, this what we have access to at Centennial, I think, is probably uh, uh, the best that's out there right now. We have just world-class analysis tools. We have as good as it gets in terms of real-time information and the other technology tools that we use to, to communicate, to share information with clients and with our peers, as good as it's ever been. That said, no tool is going to be a replacement for a steady hand. Our people are always going to be the real value prop for Centennial. And it's a poor artist that blames his tools. So you just are always going to need that human input. And that's where any value is going to derive from. Well said. You talk a little bit about the natural lag between fintech and the real-time application. And clearly that dynamic is improving. Every update, you're getting a little bit better. So that lag time and real-time, that gap is narrowing. How will that change? At what point do we finally get to where we have reached real-time? or even predictive. I am reminded of, of Zeno where something is moving towards its target and it always moves the halfway point and then it moves halfway again and halfway again and halfway again. And if you continue, you never reach the target because you're always subdividing by a half. But technology is getting us pretty close. So will we only move in increments close to the target and never actually reach it. And I recognize that nobody has a crystal ball, but you know, will we have predictive analytics at some point? What's your sense on the future trends and where things are moving in fintech? My own feeling is that we're unlikely to get to a, a true predictive world simply because the systems that make up markets, which is what, what we're measuring with a lag, are made up of people and 
uh, people, you can generally too tell what they're going to do. You can't predict any of it with any degree of certainty. If that does happen and we come up with the magic math that tells us what will happen, that'll fundamentally change, change the rules of the game. And suddenly the value that the market presents must change. I just don't see that happening. What probably will happen are probabilities will get tightened, models will get trimmed, but just like Zeno's arrow, there's always going to be another half measure to go. I agree with you. I don't think we ever get to a point where technology is in a place where we can predict what the market is going to do. Now, I know that there are AI chatbots out there where you say, well, what's the S&P 500 going to do next week? It will give you an answer. I don't believe in the credibility of that answer, but no doubt it, it will it will spit one out. My sense is that maybe you will be given... If you ask such a, a tool for a predictive outcome, it may give you a range and there will be some statistical probability of accuracy of that range. And yet we have similar things today that we use to, to analyze. So maybe the tool gets a little bit better, but it wouldn't be too far away from what we are already using. Keeping in mind that there are things that happen that are outside the statistical average, right? You have those black swan events that are far off in the tails that are of a very, very low statistical probability, and yet they still happen. And so the models be a little bit better. Like you mentioned, the, the bands may narrow, but there will always be something unpredictable. And part of that is the unpredictability of human behavior that will make it impossible to predict the market. I mentioned there the AI chatbots. We are seeing a little bit of a, an evolution there, dare I say revolution in fintech and, and how it's used. Where do you see AI fitting into the evolution of work? And let's keep it in the context of what we do in the financial advisory world. That's a great question. Uh, it definitely has changed the output-input balance, right, that we've been talking about. Just like the assembly line, just like the computer, just like the internet, and now we're looking at AI, it is a longer lever that lets us generate more output for the same amount of input. Who that benefits and and whether it is beneficial, I don't know, but it definitely does create an opportunity to do a little bit more. Now, just like with all these other things, you still need that person to, to generate the input, the, the work that goes in to create the work that comes out. We needed machine operators back on the assembly line. We needed computer programmers with the computer. We needed web developers for the internet. Now we need prompt engineers as one of the words or phrases being thrown around. The person with the right vocabulary who can write the prose and poetry that a, an AI will respond to, to to create the desired output. It's just another tool. Somebody is still going to have to turn that wrench as it pertains to our specific industry because it's unlikely that that lag between what's happened and what is happening or what will happen will never actually be eliminated because it's impossible to predict that future. It is a tool, but the, the advisor will still be important because they're the ones 
creating the strategy to defend against those black swan events, those statistical outliers, the, the things that break the predictive model. What would an AI have predicted and you know in August of 2007? They couldn't have predicted what would have happened in the markets. And so a blind devotion to technology would have been ruinous. What have we not talked about that you would like to talk about? I think I used this phrase earlier that no tool is a replacement for a steady hand. And in Centennial's world, our advisors are that steady hand. They are the ones looking out for the black swans, for the unknowables. They know the, the limitations of what we can know. And so we try to try to defend against that. What's most important is to have a plan and to work the plan. And that's why the people, that's why our advisors and all of our staff are Centennial's product, because we are the ones creating the input. And it is such a, an exciting challenge and opportunity to be part of the company here and participate in that. So I think that is a great place to conclude our conversation. Andy, I want to thank you again for being on the whip. Would you please consider coming on in the future? Clearly, the fintech world is not done evolving. When the new set of tools come out, I'd love for you to come back on and talk a little bit about it. How does that sound? Be thrilled to come anytime, Walter. Thank you. Next week, we discuss the S&P 500's next move. With the index at an all-time high, what does history tell us about what comes next? Tune in next Friday for that and much, much more. Thank you for listening, and please have a nice weekend when you get there. Talk to you next week.